Praise the Lord. It's so good to be back here. It's been a year, I think. We were talking over dinner. It's been a year since I've been here. and uh, It's a new building, I think. Praise the Lord. It's also it's a very special day for me to be here as well, too. Uh, today is my birthday. Spiritually. It was, in fact, I won't tell you how old I am physically, but in the spirit, it was 32 years ago today in New York City, in the office of a chaplain, prison and hospital chaplain, up in uh, the upper Manhattan, that I walked into this skinny little angry man with his rock and roll jacket and beetle boots and flipped out in rebellion but totally broken on, broken, shattered on the inside, walked into this chaplain's office and just said, look, I want to talk about Jesus. That just didn't happen. It took at least six months of actually looking at the Word. I wasn't saved at the time, and just came to a point where we, 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 we all get to this point, friends. I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that was 33 years ago. And uh, I was fed up with being fed up. And I just, and I had all my friends were anti-Christ. Many of them were rock and rollers, and many of them chasing after the limo. Most of them finding the hearst. Uh, and I say that with sobriety. Many of my friends I knew then are no longer with us. They're just, there's a lifestyle that um, purported that in some aspects. But I, I need a change. It's funny, because uh, I'm going to read something from the author Luke, but from the Acts, but Luke actually, I began to read the book of Luke, deep in my sin. I began to read the book of Luke, and I did it on the sly. I used to hide the Bible, because all my friends were mostly anti-Christ. So I used to hide the Bible, and I'd be on the tube, and, or the, the subway in New York, and I used to read it, and my friends would come and put it back in, and I had an insatiable love for, for God's Word. And after about six months, God was banging so hard on my heart. Maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. The bang is so hard on my heart. I was in denial, in a sense. I was honest, but in denial at the same time. I knew it was real. After six months, I knew that if I died, I'd go to hell. I believed Jesus was real. I believed in his word. Uh, no longer was Jesus this sort of overaged, latent hippie, and you know, with the long hair, and used to go around with the, how he's pictured in many of the movies and stuff, this Mr. Nice Guy, and very humanistic. I saw Christ as someone who says, I've come not to bring peace but a sword. I said that, you know, unless you repent, you'll go to hell. I started reading things about the cross, about the resurrection, the suffering he went through. And I knew that it was real. And coming from a very anti-Christ background myself, I had zero Christian friends. I used to throw Christians out of my home, actually. They used to give me tracts and it meant nothing to me. But I did know that somebody gave me a business card of a chaplain two years earlier. All the other tracks I threw away except that business card I kept. And I just put it on my bookshelf. I didn't even look at it. But it's funny enough, two years after I received that card, at the time I'm, the state I was in, I remembered I had that chaplain's card. So I just went to the bookshelf. I called it and just there was a woman named Cha- Chaplain Carol. Wonderful woman. She was a, a Jewish believer from New York, very, very New York. And um, 
Very tough lady, but very tender lady. She knew we worked in prisons and hospitals with addicts all the time. And she, uh, I learned what tough love is. And that's the love that, that Jesus gives us. It's tender, but it's powerful. And um, she explained the ways of Christ to me. And that day, 20, uh, 32 years ago, this day, as a matter of fact, local time, it would be 3 o'clock New York time, this hour, <laughs> at 3 o'clock in the afternoon New York time, uh, February 3rd, 1983, I gave my heart to Jesus. I tell you, friends, I didn't see angels descending or lights all over the place. Like I said, I was dressed in my attire that I used to just hang out with, walked into this office, closed my eyes, but I believed. And I didn't blame anybody else. I said, all my wounds are self-afflicted. I came from a Christian home. And by the time I was 13 to 15, around that time, the tender age, um, I just rejected everything my parents stood for. Everything. I was just a total rebel. And those things that gave me the most kicks when I was 17 kicked me the hardest when I was 27. That's one thing when you're a teenager and you're doing all this stuff. It's a different thing when you're in your late 20s. It's a lifestyle. I said, no, there's something more to life than this. And so it's exactly at this hour as we speak, 32 years ago, local time, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And I've never looked back. I do not go from the sex pistols to amazing grace overnight. There is a process of sanctification, process of discipleship, which I'm going to touch on a little bit tonight, friends. It's a long process. But we don't know how long we have, friends, because as a brother said, the Lord may come back any time. And if he doesn't come back in my lifetime, friends, either way, I'll see him anyway. I mean, none of us are promised tomorrow. So it's a long process, but then again, we don't know how long it's going to be in our individual lives. And one thing I've learned, and matter of fact, I, I want to share just a few scripture verses, if I may, if you want to follow with me, please. Go to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. I have so much on my heart today that I'm going to try, try to capitalize a few things that are on my heart right now that I want to just share with you that God's put upon my heart. Psalm 62. From that time, friends, I've, I've understood what this passage means and I've come to learn more about it as time has gone on. Psalm 62, verse 11. Psalm 62, verse 11 and 12. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, but... Uh, I'm going to translate a little differently. Once I'll read it the way I have it, and then I'll translate it in the way others have it. Verse 11 says, Once God has spoken, twice I've heard this, the power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. Now some versions say mercy, and that's the way I learned it at first was mercy. For you will render to a man according to his work. And this has always stuck with me through my whole ministry. Even now, um, to make a long story short, from that time, 32 years ago, I ended up going to Bible school. I met my wife, and um, over 20 years ago, we moved to England. And that's where we met Tom uh, at Bible school. But even before then, on the streets of New York and also Chicago, but certainly here in London, God has gripped me with the fact of his... Unrelented mercy. His constant mercy upon our lives. 
But this was always prefaced by this fact that I learned many years earlier that there's a correlation between the mercy of God and the power of God. Not all the miracles, but many of the miracles that Jesus did that we see the motive, that the power of God is there. He would say he just touched the hem of his garment, virtue would leave. He would speak and things would happen. He would touch a blind man, his sight would happen. Legs would be reformed or, or healed. Leprosy healed. The power of God is always there. The power to save. The power to speak. The power to minister. But the motive, friends, or the the, the, the motive is mercy and the power is always there when the motive is mercy. Even the most famous verse in the Bible. The power of God to come and send his son incarnate among us and to work so much of, with us. What's the motive? For God so loved the world that he gave. I want to encourage you friends that every time that you are motivated to do these acts of mercy... For his kingdom's sake. Even a cup of cold water. The power of God is with you. The power to speak his word. First of all, the power to believe that even a cup of cold water can change your life. The power to pray. To see God heal. Save. Restore. The motive is mercy. And his mercy is in this room right now. You know, and the mercy and grace are, are the two sides of the same coin. They are different, obviously, but you know, we are saved by grace through faith. And the motive of that, friends, is the mercy of God. Amen? I want to give a small thing, a small history of of the church, of me, of you. I'm going to look at the book of Acts very quickly. I'm going to run through this very quickly. And, matter of fact, I wish, you know, Tom, you said you, you spoke for the longest you've ever done in a long time. I wish I had all night. Yeah, Praise the Lord. Thank you. Do I have a witness? I do. I mean, all night. I, my, I have a sort of a, a running joke. It's not a joke, it's a true thing. I mean, this is, I call it the acid test I gave to my wife. I love the cinema. And the first time I took her to a movie, it was a 15 hour movie <laughs> in German. <laughs> she left that saying, This guy is absolutely nuts. People say, you, I can't believe you took it to see a 15-hour movie. It started at 6 o'clock at night. It ended 9 o'clock the following morning. In German. So I, I don't mind preaching all night. So I say if I may be here all night, this is what I'm talking about. Anyway, I want to look at the book of Acts, friends, because to see, to see this correlation between the power of God and the mercy of God activated in our lives, there's certain, um, I guess, titles or uh, categories through this book has changed my life and things I hold on to every single day right now. I'm, I'm very much right now, I have a church that is, it's the best place that my church has been in a long time. i tell you something, friends. The numbers have dwindled. But the power and the mercy and the understanding of that has grown. 
And I've just, I'm seeing a transformation of lives I've never seen. And I've been in full-time ministry. 32 years I was saved. Almost immediately I was working with my local church. Almost 30 years I've been in like, full-time ministry. I gave up my career in 86. And for the first, I've seen a growth. I'm seeing principles I found just recently as we go through this book of Acts. Look at chapter 1. One thing I want to reiterate here. Luke wrote this, and Acts is basically, you probably know this already, Acts is like Luke the sequel. The same author, the only Gentile believer to write Holy Scripture. Luke was saved under Paul's ministry. We know that from Acts 16. That's basically when he was saved during that time. It was his uh, second missionary trip, I believe. And Luke was saved. He was called to, call, to give an account for the local church. So he wrote, you know, what is going on here? So he, he wrote the scholarly piece of history about the local church, starting with Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke 24 mirrors Acts 1. It just continues. In Luke 24, it says, Wait in Jerusalem till you, have the, you receive the promise of the Father. Same thing in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, you, you will be in Jerusalem, stay in Jerusalem, until you are clothed with power. Now, first of all, we have the promise, friends. The one thing that every believer has since we have the promise of God. First of all, that sometimes you have to wait for it, but it is coming. But the promise of God, this we're going to see in chapter 2, is that in filling of the Holy Spirit. But I want to expand it a little bit as well. That God has spoken to us, friends. As a matter of fact, He's spoken to us once He's spoken, twice I've heard. First of all, that there's power and mercy available in my life. But everything in my ministry and in my life, there's a promise of God that correlates with it. And sometimes we have to wait a long time for that. Sometimes we have to wait maybe five minutes, sometimes five years, and sometimes 50 years. I heard this testimony of a man, he's in his 70s. When he was 20 years old, he was saved. God put two people on his heart to pray for. And he was diligent the whole time. He was faithful the whole time. Within almost a year, one of them was saved. Now he's 70 years old. He's still praying for the other one. But he's faithful that God is going to save both of these people who are very close to him. Sometimes we have to wait. If the, if the disciples had left Jerusalem at that time, after being told to stay there, they would have missed what God was going to do. I sometimes cringe, friends, I sometimes cry when, when I see people who have left the calling of God too soon. They've left the, the promises too soon. They, 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 they believe to a certain point and they say, well, obviously God's not coming. Matter of fact, in, when, when Luke ends his first part, he's actually talking to disciples who have left Jerusalem. After they've seen uh, they, they've seen the crucifixion of Christ after he told them, I will die. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. But I'll rise again. And then he's walking to Emmaus and he meets these disciples who have left Jerusalem. And you know why, friends? They had a hope that was not based on the words of Christ. Isn't that the testimony? We were hoping he was the one. They weren't believing he was the one. After he told them over and over and over again, I am going to Jerusalem to die, but I am going to rise again. Instantly, as soon as he's crucified, they leave. When one thing goes wrong, they go. And we were hoping he was the one. Hope deferred makes a heart sick. And I understand that. But there's a promise of God, friends, in your life. 
I can speak this generally in this church. There's a promise of God over this church. There's a promise of God for you individually too. And I don't know it. You know it. Things that you know God has spoken to you. Maybe to your family. And he's saying, how long, O Lord? How long? I say that all the time, friends. And this is right in scripturally, friends, in Psalm 13. Because people ask me, you know, Kurt, you know, being a minister, sometimes I work a lot, well, every week I work on the street, and I get asked all the time, you know, if there's a God, why is there this? And look at the salvation, look at the wars, and why is, you know, and, and sometimes just in people's lives, we're praying for them, praying for the, the breakthrough. And I keep telling them, hold on. But I hear David's cry in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, must I cry out to you? How long must I have sorrow in my heart daily? How long? I understand that, friends. I, I cry out for that. They go, how long, God? Lord, I need a breakthrough. But Psalm 13 ends joyfully. I've trusted the Lord. And David saw the victory. And friends, maybe this is just an encouragement from just the first chapter of Acts. That there's a promise that God is going to give you. And he says that you will receive power. And with the power comes the mercy, friends. And because of the mercy comes the power. I will not leave you as orphans. He already told them that. And he will not leave us as orphans, friends. Matter of fact, that spirit of adoption lives within you right now. What, 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 what rashly sane and loving parent would leave their child? How much more God? He will not leave you as orphans, my friends. Wait for the promise of the Father. Now, again, scripturally, that is the Holy Spirit that's coming. But also... With the application in our lives, wait for God to move, friends, in your life. He's already promised you. He's already given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you His Word. He's given you the promises. You're praying, you're fasting, you're looking for things in your life. If they haven't come already, friends, you hold on. We see our lives around us, and you're so right, my brother. You look around us, and look at the, look at the news, and I tell you, if, if I didn't have these promises to hold on to, I'd be full of despair. I hope it's not going to come from the government. It's not going to come from uh, the education. It's not going to come from the, the banks. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's a promise from God. Whatever comes my way, that's a promise from God. Acts chapter 1 talks about the promise. You, you shall receive these things. Of course, you know, historically, that happened chapter 2. Not only do we have the promise of God, friends, we have the presence of God finally coming. Again, biblically and theologically, that is the, the, the Holy Spirit coming in Acts chapter 2. And finally, what God promised he was able to deliver. The whole, I will send you another comforter. He will come and dwell within you. But friends, with his promise, backed by his power and his mercy, he will give you his presence. Wherever you go tomorrow, friends, wherever you go tonight or tomorrow or next week, Christ is going to be there. You know, there's a... Actually, this is for another chapter too, but I'll give it now. You know the, uh, the, 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 the sweatshirts, the um, jumpers, Gap, you know, the, the shirt Gap. That's a wonderful reminder for me to seek God. I see somebody, these kids at GAP. You see, God answers prayer. And every time you see the gap, I said, God answers prayer. The presence of God is always with me. The presence of God is always 
with you. First is the promise, friends. Then is the presence. Why is that important? Because chapter 3, we talk about the power. We talk about the first miracle of the early church. And what's also amazing in chapter 3, if you look at it, it says Peter and John were walking side by side. There's a new relationship that's been established now in the church. It's been going for 20 years, for 2,000 years. It's happening in this room right now. I'll show you a testimony with Tom over dinner, how this God reminded me of this again. See, Peter and John are walking side by side, and through the first beginnings of Acts, it's Peter and John, Peter and John. Isn't it interesting that in the Gospels, it's always Peter, it's always John and James and Peter and Andrew. They're natural brothers as they walk with Jesus. Now with the promise being fulfilled and the presence of God coming with the Holy Spirit, there is a new reality, a new family that's now uh, established, friends. So yes, Andrew and James were still around, but now it's Peter and John walking side by side as these spiritual brothers walking side by side. And this is what we have right here, friends. Who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? For those that do the will of my father. We just had a 19th anniversary of, of uh, Elias Church just about two or three weeks ago. And I had this wonderful dream that gave me just such a satisfaction. I, I was dreaming, it was a, sort of a surrealistic setting. There's a time when um, the, only one that, the only ones that were allowed in your house were people who were your family. It's just some, some weird, I, who, who knows how I got this, but only your family were allowed in your house. So I closed my door and I heard a knock on the door. I opened the door and there's, there's police officers there. And they said, who's in your house? It was very fearful at the time. It's like one of these science fiction movies it seemed like. I said, just my family. They said, who's in your house? I said, just my family. And then they opened the door and I turned around. And in the room were the people that had been with me for the last 19 or 20 years in the ministry. In my room. And I said to the police, I, I said, I told you, my family is in the house. And I said, this is wonderful. The one next to you right now, my, my brothers and my sisters, is your brother and your sister. Whether it's from the same mother, different, you know, different brothers, the same brothers from a different mother, your brother and sister. And there's a power of God there in the unity. That's where the power of God is. I tell you, you talk about all these different denominations and all these different theologies that you know, are so off of, of God, friends, that does not bring the power of God. There's a superficial power of God that's manifested, but true power of God comes in the unity. That's why Peter and John can walk in unity. By the way, it says in chapter 3, in the time of prayer, they're obedient to prayer, they're walking side by side in unity, and then they saw the man that was crippled from birth, the man who was lame for almost 40 years, sitting by the gate beautiful. And this scripture verse uh, is one of my text verses. I preach on this quite often. For I see many, many men sitting by the gate beautiful in my ministry. Crippled from birth. And by the way, friends, we're all crippled from birth. Amen? You know, there's a song, and you know, I, I'm not really into him musically, but you know, John Lennon has this one song, it just is crippled inside. But I like that, that um, the phrase in, this, in, this, in the chorus of the song, you know, one thing you can't hide is when you're crippled inside. In other words, you can go on the outside, you can look all nice and cute and everything, and nice and you know, shiny and everything, but you can, your, your heart could be absolutely shattered. You could be absolutely rejected by everybody, but still have this front. Well, God knows that front. God knows everything about you. 
But here's a man, in, in my ministry, we were right by Westminster Cathedral, one of the most beautiful tourist places in the world. Uh, it's certainly London. Beautiful place. That is the gate, beautiful. And right outside there, friends, we've had a ministry for 20 years that just work with the homeless. Not necessarily drug addicts, alcoholics. People who just don't have a home. People who are educated. Some people with PhDs. Carpenters. Lawyers. Housewives at times. Or husbands. Some are strung out, addicted. Not all of them. Matter of fact, I'll say most of the people I work with, friends, on the street, most of them are not there because, they're not there because of alcohol or drugs. Once getting on the street, they may get into that, but that wasn't the cause of them being on the street. We have one guy that's coming tomorrow. Um, I'm sorry, Saturday. A guy named Roy. Very, very precious man to me. Very similar to this man here by the gate beautiful. He was a boxer and a very good one. He was in the, in the championships, the youth championships as a teenager. They told him he didn't need education. Just fight and you're going to get a lot of money, Roy. So he, he skipped education and he fought. He was good. He was making some money. 17, 18 years old. 19 years old, he gets up in a car crash. He survived, but he has a permanent smile. It's almost like the Joker. I don't mean it's funny, but he has a smile that just comes up here. His face is cut, and he has a smile, but he couldn't box anymore. He has zero education, and he cannot box. He ends up being a bouncer and all these other jobs that have physical jobs. He gets married to a wonderful woman, but they have a lot of rows. So one night, he had a massive row with his wife, and he's also a son as well. At that time, he was eight years old. And there's blood in the eyes row. They were just, just really going at it, saying things that he never meant to say. And he was just saying things that were just hearing things and saying things that just were terrible. The wife leaves the door, slams the door, goes out, takes off. She dies in a car crash. So the last time he saw his wife was whom he loved greatly, but he just had this massive row, was blood-red eyes screaming at her, hearing things that he didn't want to hear, and that's it. No time to resolve things, no time to repent, no time to see her again. That's where I met him. He was on the street for about two years after that. So I'm hearing the story. And then he's absolutely shattered. He still was able to wear some clothes as nice. One thing you can't hide is when you're crippled inside type of thing. It would just come out. I would talk to him and just ask one or two questions and it would just come out. It was amazing that, and it didn't, you know, you pray and the mercy of God was there, friends. And I know that when the mercy of God is there, the power of God will be there to heal. And I have to say, it didn't happen overnight. But he felt the warmth, he felt an acceptance. And every Saturday he would come back. You know, on the street, friends, we have a church there that is a bona fide church. We don't have walls, but it's a church. That these guys see this as their church. They won't go to any other, quote, normal church, whatever that means, or a church even with a building. They'll come here every single Saturday. And Roy was like that. He would come every single Saturday. And God was healing his heart week after week. Turns out, after about two or three months, four months maybe, he, he was in contact with his son again. See, his son disowned him because he blamed, not only did he lose his wife, but the son blamed him for getting his mother so riled up that she had the accident. So the son blamed him. So the son had nothing to do with him. He lost everything. But he ends up getting back with his son. And he was on a, a BBC panorama show. 
They interviewed all these guys. I, even, I don't like the title, so I'm not even going to say the title, but it was tough, blah, blah, blah. And he was on the show, and they had all these rough guys from London whose lives have been changed. And his testimony was that, what I just gave you, but he says, if it wasn't for this little church group that meets around Victoria, I probably would have died. The power of God, friends. Peter and John sees a man who's lame from the waist down, never walked. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. The mercy is there, friends, and knowing the power of God behind it. It's the first man in Scripture that was asking for arms but received legs. Okay, forget that. Uh, <clears throat> but he's asking for arms. And it's amazing, too, because we're going to read in, in Acts that the church was selling all their property and laying it at the apostles' feet. They had the money. If they really had, if they had, if they really had to, they could have given him some money. He wasn't asking for a fortune, just some money. He was begging they had the money. So we say silver and gold they don't have. Peter's not lying. He's just saying that's not what you need. You don't need arms. You need legs. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. Friends, can you imagine? Someone who's never walked before. Maybe some of you have seen miracles like that. This man had never walked before. And suddenly there's a force that's going through his legs. Muscles, toes he's never wiggled before. Suddenly can move. He's standing up for the first time ever. And yes, it says that he's holding on to Peter and John. Of course, he's never walked. But he's walking. But Peter and John are like beautiful pictures of the church. Walking side by side. They're not natural brothers, but they are brothers in the spirit. Now, holding up this man that God just did a wonderful miracle in. Amen? But that's where the church has its finest hour, friends. And those who are so far from God are brought near. And yes, they may lean on us for a while, friends, and, and that's good. Mercy is messy as well, but God will give you the power to minister. Many, many times I've had people come and just stay at my house. You have to. Well, you don't have to. I have a choice. But I know that with His mercy, there's the power of God is there too. So we have the presence, we have the promise of God in our lives. We have the presence of God. And with that comes the power of God. And all this is undergirded, friends, in chapter 4, where we have now the giving to a defense, we have the persecution because of that, and also the prayer. You can I'm a preacher, everything's alliterated. Okay, so now we have the promise, the presence, the power, and also the persecution because of that, and also the end of chapter 4 is the prayer. Now, I'm sure this is a praying church, Tom's a praying man. And... As being a church leader myself, probably the best way I disciple is to follow me as I follow Christ. Prayer, friends, well, I don't have to tell you this, I'm not going to go heavy into this, another session on prayer, but just to remind you, God answers prayer. Go out and buy a Gap t-shirt tomorrow, right? <clears throat> or paint it on yourself, but God answers prayer. And the prayer, though, I, I want to hit that home, because if you read that carefully, that's right after Peter and John were scourged because of doing something good. The persecution will come, friends. When you make a stand for Christ, the persecution is going to come. I tell you, friends, the victory, the victory is not so much seeing the change around you for those who don't believe. 
Because sometimes they will never change in that sense. God can change them, but we see in Scripture some people harden their heart. The victory, friends, is standing. When you've done everything, you stand. The world may not believe your message. They may not even believe the things that, that God's done in your life. They may deny it. But you stand for the truth. Truth has stumbled in the market square, friends. We have the truth. I remember we were outside. We, we, we had placards and we were just ready to do the, the vote on the same-sex marriages. And we were out in front of Parliament. There's about a hundred of us. And we were praying for the, for the parliamentarians. We were praying against this ungodly act. God, give them sense. Bring wisdom into this parliament. Well, right next to us was the Stonewall people. And they were just dancing and hugging each other and you know, same sex and even mocking us and throwing insults and all this other stuff. And when the vote came over, it, it, it was what we didn't want, but it happened. I said, okay, God, we just began to worship the Lord, friends. They were celebrating. They were, and matter of fact, they were chanting, we win, you lose, we win. It was just really childish stuff, really stupid stuff. And just really trying to, you know, not only put the knife in, but turn it as well. But that wasn't even a bother. And the Lord put it upon my heart, and those of us that were there, we said, the victory isn't whether government passes laws or not, friends, which we wish they hadn't. But the victory is standing for the truth. That's the victory. We were there standing for the truth. And we had to keep on standing for the truth. Peter and John were being scourged and they were, they were being told, reprimanded and told, do not preach in the name of Jesus again. If you will, you will get scourged again and you're looking at prison sentences. And they went back to the, the home. And what did they ask? What's their prayer? Boldness. Amen. Boldness. And also, when it says that, you know, whether it's right for you that we should preach, we should not preach or not, that's up to you, but we have to do what God tells us. They were not, you know, radicals and disobeying the law. This is important. Because people can take that, oh, I don't have to do this, what the law says, because God's told me to do this and that. No. They totally submitted to the law. If it means scourging, then scourge me. But I will not shut up about Jesus. They were totally obedient and under the authority that God has established. God has put... The government's in place. Good and bad, friends. Because the authority, maybe not so much the individual, but the, 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 the principle of authority God has established. It's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were disobedient to the law of the land. I would not bow down to the statue. If it means burn me, then burn me. That's the law of the land. Burn me. Daniel too. He was a disobedient. He, he was a rebel. He just said, no, I'm, I have to pray to God. If it means to be thrown into the lion's den, so be it. That's the law of the land. Acts chapter 4, if it means I'm going to be scourged and ridiculed and beaten and imprisoned for preaching Jesus, I will submit to that. But I would not deny Christ. Amen? That's the victory, friends, Satan's after. I was reading again the history and testimony of Polycarp, the first were well, one of the first Christian martyrs in the second century. One of the disciples of, of John the Apostle. And they caught, they caught him and they wanted to get rid of him. But they realized death is not the punishment for him. This is what, this is what the Roman council was talking about. Because he, he, he sees himself as a martyr anyway. Death is almost releasing him. 
the victory for us, talking of a Roman citizen, or the Roman God, to have him deny Christ. That's the victory. Killing him is not the victory. Getting him to a point to deny Christ. They did it to Latimer, um, you know, during the purge in the 1600s. When they were about to burn him at the stake, they kept saying, you know, deny this Christ. And then they said, well, when the flames are coming, if it's all worth it, just raise your hand then when you're being burnt to a crisp. And the testimony with Latimer is that the fire went bad and it didn't blaze all at once, it just smoldered. So he's there tired. He's, he's, he's like basically roasting. He's not burning, he's roasting. Uh, torture. Just roasting. He's there for just minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes. Just, they're roasting. And finally the, the hay caught and the fire came and consumed him. And witnesses says, the last thing he did, you see this hand coming up in the midst of the flames. It's all worth it. I will not deny Christ. You can burn me to the stake. You can whip me. You can scourge me. You can even kill me. I'm not denying Christ. A good friend of mine is from Ethiopia. And during the 80s, in the Marxist regime, there's much persecution. As there is in many countries today. And they raided the small little village. This African village with you know, the huts and very tiny. There was a prayer meeting going on. The Marxist soldiers came in, took all the people out in the middle of the village. And they lined them up. And this little kid, he was 16, but he looked 12. He was so malnutritioned. You've had people who say that they're born again, they're Christians, they're, they're running for government, they're, they're politicians. And they come to the Christian caucuses, oh, it's a Christian nation, we, I, I'm with you all the way, you guys do a fantastic job, I love the work you're doing, the social work, oh yeah, and Jesus, I'm, uh, I'm myself from this denomination. And the next day, they go to the homosexual group. Man, you guys are fantastic. I'm all behind you. This is just fantastic. Then they go to this other group. And, and everything, wherever they go to, they just pander up. But imagine that here they are shaking this group that's just so anti-Christ. And, yeah, we're with you all the way. And suddenly, bang! They're dead. They say this in Miliband. I'm not, if you labor, I'm not, I'm not doing it. The next day, Clegg is doing the same thing. Oh, I, I love you Christians. This is what makes this country great. This and that. Then goes to this other group. And this other group. And just... Bang! He's dead. People say, whoa, man, what's going on here? Cameron does the same thing. Bang! People say, wait a minute. He goes to this Christian group. He says, he's all Christian. And he loves what you're doing. And yeah, it's a great Christian nation. He's pandering up to all these other groups who are just anti-Christ. He's dead. I would hope. I mean, maybe this is speculative, friends. I would hope would get the message. In the early church, they did. Great fear came upon the church. I'm not saying, God, maybe you should work in this way again. God can do what he wants. But that's in his power to do so. And that's in his right to do so. We have so many groups, and even sometimes even within the Christian community, who try to just manipulate the word of God so much. For their own gain. Imagine if God began to move, as we see in chapter 5, when Peter said to Ananias and Sapphira, Why did you lie to who? Me? Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? And do these things. And great fear came all over the church, friends. This is the foundation of our faith, 
friends. Now you may be saved three months, 30 years. It doesn't matter. This is the foundation of our faith. And I'm, I'm, I've been reminded of just in the early books of, this, of, of, of the early chapters of this book of the foundations of my faith. That there are promises of God that He has given me, He's given the church, He's given my, my local church that I pastor the promises. There's a presence of God that will go with me everywhere I go. If I go to the ends of the earth, He's there. If I go to the deep of the sea, He's there. Psalm 139, where can I go? He's there. The presence of God is there. And what happened in Acts chapter 2, friends, is, is an event that, would, that has changed the course of human history. The Holy Spirit now dwells within people individually. Never had that happened before. That's why David, who is a mighty prophet of God, could truly say, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. It's a different dispensation, friends. The Holy Spirit would come upon people then. And David was so fearful. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Friends, today he lives in you. Unlike David. Unlike Jeremiah. Unlike Isaiah. Unlike Moses. We have something they never experienced. The presence of God. And with it comes the power of God. And with that, friends, the persecution to follow. Hallelujah. You know, and the prayer is amazing. When Peter was said that he would deny Christ, and by the way, all the disciples said that. Peter gets the stick, but all said that. Scripture says Peter said that, and they all agreed. And they all ran. But Peter is the one that is pointed out. When much is given, much is expected. He was the leader among the disciples. But Christ knew that. And what did he say to, to Peter? Peter couldn't pray for him. He came three, two or three times and they were sleeping. But he said to Peter, Peter, I've prayed for you. That when you are restored, in other words, you will fall. I don't care what you say, Peter. When you, fall, when, when you are restored, so, um, Satan has a desire to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. That when you are restored, you will strengthen the brethren. Jesus knew it all from the beginning. And Peter still was in denial. But the prayer of Christ, he knows. The prayer of Christ in John 17, the real Lord's Prayer. Praying for, well, himself for the strength, but praying for those who come after him. You. Of course, his disciples, but those who come after them. Amen? That you be one. One. That's the strength, friends. One. That's why when you see Peter and John walking side by side, they, they had differences. All the disciples had differences. But they were in one accord. In Acts 4, in one accord, crying out. Amen? I don't think anybody was in disagreement when they saw God move so powerfully with his judgments in Acts 5. As a matter of fact, immediately after in Acts 6, you have the personnel. God raises up people. There's so many people coming in. Feeding. This is the mercy, friends. Feeding and feeding. What is true religion to minister to the widows and the orphans? And this is just a natural outflowing of those who are filled with the Spirit of God. You have the power of God within you and the mercy flows. So the most vulnerable in society. So many were coming in that the apostles who loved to serve... 
says, we have to spend more time in the Word and study and prayer. We have to raise up people who are filled with the Spirit, full of grace, full of faith. You know, I do, in many countries we do this seminars and conferences called Hands of Mercy. And just to help to get the church proactive and understanding and uh, of, of just the mercy of God and being His hands extended. And the, and the CVs, for instance, not how much education you have or how many alphabets, letters after your name you have or how much pain you suffered. As, no. I mean, those things should help you in your ministry. The CV of a minister of mercy. The deacons, by the way, in Acts chapter 6 are the original ministers of mercy. Sometimes we think deacons are just the ones that set the chair up and change the light bulbs and you know, do the stuff, do the physical stuff. And yeah, that may be part of it. But the real deacon friends, these are the ones who would wait on tables as ministers of mercy. Their hands were God's hands extended, full of the Spirit. Philip was part of the revival. We're going to get to that in Acts chapter 8. Stephen was so powerful as a preacher, he cut a generation of Pharisees sitting with him, so much so that they even stoned him. They were powerful ministers of God who loved to serve. If there's one thing in, in my own Christian life as I love the most, is serving. You know, like this church here, mine's like this. I, I've, I've yet to go to a church where I have to set up and break down every single meeting. In 32 years of going to church, every, every church I belong to, no, I'm sorry, Times Square Church, but they, even that was a theater. That wasn't even a church church. It was a theater. Besides that one, every other church had a separate breakdown. And I tell you, I'm, I'm right in the midst of it. You know, I love it when people come volunteer and volunteer or assign certain things. It's fine. But still, I love to serve. With a cup of tea, for the last, and this is, this is only for, for the sake of testimony, friends, since 1986, every Friday night, give or take a few of them in the last 30 years maybe, every Friday night you find me at home making the sandwiches as I go out in the street. Making the tea, making sure everything's all set. Or calling up and making sure that those that said that they'll help me out and do it, are doing it. It's just serving. To be on, to be there, to be His hands extended. There's nothing like it, friends. To be His heart beating, to His mouth being spoken. And that's what Stephen was. It was His hands, His feet. By the way, if you do a history of the early deacons, and which we have done, and I know this for a fact, that the deacons basically were also in charge of the money. And the money was to make sure all the needs are met. That if people had financial needs, maybe it's housing, or maybe it's clothing, or certainly food, the deacons would make sure all the needs are met. It's amazing. Much more than just making sure that you know, the physical things of the church, like we have since the deacon does in our churches today. No, they were on-hand, powerful ministers of God. And when needs be, friends, Stephen could speak and speak with boldness, with absolute clarity, the whole history of his people, relating it to the situation, and directing it towards the ones who are preaching a lie. But Stephen, a deacon, who just waits on tables. So we think. Philip, a deacon, Acts chapter 8, goes into Samaria. Brings one of, the, one of the most powerful revivals of the early church in Samaria. Right in the prophecy of Jesus. You'll be in Jerusalem, Judea, and now Samaria. 
It's growing, friends. And Philip is there, a deacon, a widow waiter, a powerful man of God. And you know, it's interesting with that how the word of God never comes back void. In Samaria, what happened about three years earlier in Samaria? There was a woman at the well who was talking to Jesus. And she was so moved by what he said, she went back to her village and says, Come and hear everything this guy said. It says the whole town was there. And Jesus ministered the word to them. It took about maybe three years to Germany, three or four years to Germany. Suddenly Philip goes to Samaria and they are ready, friends. The Holy Spirit is poured out and a massive revival happens in Samaria. Already planted and uh, seasoned by the word. And the Holy Spirit comes. Hallelujah. But the thing about chapter 8, friends, not so much the revival, but the heart of Philip. In this day and age, you have a revival and you bet within two months that evangelist that has a revival has his first book out and he's doing autographs in the lobby and he's got the videotapes and he's got everything else going on he's got the YouTube and that's it I tell you you know that thing about the expression what would Jesus do I tell you what he wouldn't do he wouldn't write a book anyway <laughs> um, but the thing with Philip is though friends in the midst of this revival this, is a, this shows a character of a true man of God or person of God. He hears the call of God to leave all the... It says there's much joy in the city of Samaria. To leave that atmosphere of just a joy and signs of wonders are happening. And Philip is, is one of the, the ones who this conduit God is using. He hears God. He leaves that whole scene. Goes off into the desert. A place called Gaza. Not knowing why. He just happens to see this Ethiopian eunuch riding by. Maybe looking confused, looking for the word. Philip goes after the one. I tell you, friends, if there's a phrase, there are many of them, but one of the phrases in my own ministry, in my own heart, is that, go after the one. Very few people I know, friends, have these international ministries. So if we're, if we're aiming for the big crowds and uh, counting the numbers coming into the church or something, you're on the wrong track. Go after the one. And everyone can do it. The next, just driving back. Tom did today. If you don't mind me saying Tom. The waiter. They waited on us. Go after the one. Just the one person. These divine appointments. Wonderful talk we have with the waiter at the table today. Go after the one. Everybody here, friends, will have a divine appointment, as we call it in Christian circles, a divine appointment tomorrow. Are you prophesying? No, man, just read the word. He's going to bring people into your path. Friends, you are the light of the world. That's not an option. What you do with the light is an option. You can put it under a bushel, you can hide it. But by virtue of your belief and obedience to Christ, you are the light of the world. And so let your light shine before men. 
that they will see your good works and glorify God. That will attract people, friends. It will. Because people live in darkness. People are sick and tired of living with the lies. They're looking for the hope. And they may not even know where you're coming from, but they know you're different. And sometimes maybe it's not that black and white. Sometimes you just make, you're bumping into somebody on the street. And suddenly you just say something that's going to change their life forever. You speak a word of hope. Or you're kind to somebody. Or the countenance of Christ that comes from you. Whatever made the Ethiopian you know, talk to Philip and open up to something about Philip. Philip went up and asked him, you know, what are you reading? But still, there's there a conversation happening. God had brought this together. As you will in your lives. Going after the one. Hallelujah. In chapter 9, it talks about Saul. You know, Saul's testimony is mentioned three times in the scripture. From Acts 9, and basically you don't hear from 10 and 11, from 13 to 28. That's why I'm always amazed it says, you know, this book is called the Acts of the Apostles. So basically, half the book is one apostle talks about. It's the Acts of Paul, basically, for half the book. And his disciple wrote the book. You know, Luke. That one testimony, friends, in Acts chapter 9, changed the whole course, certainly of Western civilization, if not even the world. The conversion of Paul. One man. One man. Western civilization would never be the same after that. And from there, around the world. But three times it's mentioned, friends, and I, one thing about this chapter here, know your testimony. Know your testimony. Some of you may have been saved when you were a little boy, little girl. Some of you have been saved, like myself, maybe when you were a little bit older. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Know your testimony. Be able to give a one-minute testimony in the spur of the moment. Three minutes if you have more time. Five minutes if you have a cup of coffee. Or maybe 30 minutes if you ask many times just to speak at a meeting. But know it. I tell you, I'm, in my own church, I'm having as, as many people as I can begin to preach. You know, none of them have gone to Bible school, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I look, I look at the preaching, I give them a text, but to train them to be able to speak the word with confidence. If it's just your testimony back with Scripture, then speak it. Know where God's taken you. If we jump over to Acts 26, Paul gives his testimony for the third time. He gives it exact, exactly the way it happened in Acts 9. I was thrown off my horse. Jesus spoke to me. He gave me the mandate. And he ends that particular passage with a testimony of saying, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. The vision, friends, is Christ. What he did was a mandate. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's the mandate. The vision is Jesus. And blaze that upon us again. I mean, again, being a full-time minister, whatever that means, but quote-unquote, this is what I do. You know, by, by the way, my, my profession is what I profess. And I profess Christ lived, Christ died, Christ crucified. So what you do in life, that's fine. And we call that the, your profession. But in actuality, friends, your profession is what you profess. Christ lived, died, rose again. Amen? That's your testimony. 
And the vision is Christ always. To keep your eyes focused on Him. You know, we have so much to take our eyes off of Christ. Even within the church sometimes. All the different things. When I said, you know, service is the hallmark of our faith. But the vision is always Christ. My desire, friends, all the time, as I go in the streets, go to my church, go to... I work as a chaplain as well, and I work with Teen Challenge. There's a few hats I wear during the week. But every time, I pray before... Even, even here, I say, God, I want to see you. You're the vision. You're the vision. So the people do not become the vision. A small testimony. I, I just came from Africa once, and we preached there, and it's a beautiful response to the word and much prayer. We saw people being healed. It was a wonderful time. I came back, and I preached basically the same message in, in my local church. And I felt the same fire of God. I felt the passion preaching this message. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I said, oh man. I said, this is so weird. And I remember going back to, I went back to my house that night, I'm lying in my bed, I'm staring at the ceiling, and saying, God, what is going on here? And the Lord spoke to me, I believe, I heard God's voice saying, Kurt, what did you expect to see? That made me think. He said, Kurt, I've called you to them, but I've called them to me. You just be obedient to what I've told you to do and leave the rest to me. The ministry is not the vision, friends, or whatever you do in your life in that sense. The vision is Christ. The mandate may be go and help, forgive, you know, pray, work. That's the mandate. The vision is Christ. He said, you keep your eyes on me, Kurt. Doesn't matter what you see in front of you. You keep your eyes on me. And let me do the rest. I'll reiterate, my friends. You are the light of the world. He is the light. You are the light. Small L. With your vision on Christ, you will see. Signs and wonders follow those who believe, friends. When you begin to look at the signs and wonders, you're off track. When your eyes are on Christ, don't worry what He's going to do in your wake, because He will do it. The influence you have is amazing. The influence you have, friends, is the influence, if this was totally black, blackened out, and you had one little match, and you lit the match, all the darkness around that one little match would have to leave. We are all little matches, friends. The darkness in which we live in will have to flee. And wherever you go, you are the light of the world. In your neighborhoods, on your jobs, in your family. Many of you may have unsaved loved ones. Fathers or children. You are the light of the world. Amen? I, I tell you one thing, friends. Even those that don't know Christ. But they know you know Christ. You are the only faith they have. So they, even at times when they're feeling bad, they remember, oh, I remember how so-and-so really went through and they went through the trouble and they went through that death and they went through the job loss, they went through this, this thing. And they see your life. They don't believe. 
And they know you believe. Amen? And you draw them by your love. By your faith. By the mercy of God, the power of God comes. Hallelujah. I tell you, I could go on, but I think I'm going to just relax here for a second. Just relax speaking, not relax in the spirit. What I'll do, I'd like to just, maybe just close the prayer. Just even, if we could all stand. Maybe just close our eyes. I know I spoke a lot about certain words or categories. But in prayer right now, I just want to reiterate and God just speak to us. And fill my brothers and sisters, God, with the freshness of your Holy Spirit. Father, we understand that we, we know that we have a promise from you, Lord. And you're faithful to fulfill that promise. Lord, we have your presence with us, Lord. The abiding Holy Spirit. Father, we have the power of God within us. Lord, I pray for those that may be weak in their faith right now. The faith has been shaken over the last week or so. Month or year or so. Lord, restore the faith that was once, once alive and burning. Father, those that may feel they're under persecution at the moment, Father, let them know that if it's because of Christ that they're in a good place, you will protect them, surround them. And Father, embold them to be brighter in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those who are in ministry right now who serve in this church in any capacity. Father, we see in Acts 6 the workers were filled with grace, faith, and the Holy Spirit. Father, we see from Philip that your desire for us to go after the one. Maybe the outcast. Maybe the one we saw every single day and we felt at one time even sorry or pitiful at one person. Father, help us to show compassion now. And Lord, I just pray for every testimony in this room. Father, let our testimony explode from our lips. Shine from our lifestyle. And give opportunity to everyone in this room. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Holy Spirit, we need you. And Jesus, without you, we can do nothing. We commit ourselves afresh to you, Lord. Do whatever it takes, O oh God. In Jesus' mighty name. I pray for the surrounding area, Lord. I pray for an open heaven here, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.